and welcome to the Salty Boys Podcast. This is a series dedicated to catching all of our listeners, new and old, up to speed with what we have been up to for the past way too long. We'll be taking an in-depth look at some of our characters, both players and NPCs, as well as a lot of our plot points that define the campaign and others that never made it on the air. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Salty Boys Podcast. These episodes, as the intro mentions, are designed to give all of our listeners an overview of what's happening in the podcast. So this particular episode, and the next one at least that's going to follow it, these will be more of a broad overview. They're not going to be very detailed. We're going to get into details on on certain things as we move through it. So the overview is that you will find our podcast numbered in two ways. I number everything by season, each representing a different campaign. So, for instance, we have the Salt Marsh campaign. We have the Eberron campaign. Our newest campaign is sent into Avernus. Those are our seasons. So, everything we do in Salt Marsh is season one. Everything we do in Eberron is season two, etc. But then I also have numbering on each of the episode titles. So, you'll see that the last episode we published for uh, Avernus was... 85. So that helps everyone keep track of what's happening in real time because events can have effects on what's happening in another campaign. So for instance, things that we do in Saltmarsh can impact things that are happening in Avernus, which is the most you know, direct correlation here, and vice versa. We've had a lot of discussions about keeping track of content, us trying to remember things that happened. So this is a tool for us as much as it is for new listeners, for listeners who are very familiar with the podcast and anybody in between. A tool for tools. So right off the bat, we started season one, part one, The Ghost of Saltmarsh. We had Mikhas playing Captain Fergus Flintlock. Not Flint Fargus. Not Flint Fargus, as I am prone to say, who is a uh, swashbuckling dwarf with a checkered past. We had a deep cover rogue who thinks he's a bard. That was me, AR. I was playing Big Nick. We had Sawyer playing Daffron Keen, uh, the boy himself, a sea elf cleric. Uh, Daffron we- Keen, the love machine. Daffron Keen. <laughs> We had Kronk as Mock Smith, the uh, ever-aggressive, muscle-bound, sword-swinging stoic that embodies the rage of the storm god he's a cleric of. Also, the stubbornness of, um, which comes up quite often. Uh, we also had Simmons as Francis Bolf, a semi-sentient shambling mound of moss and explosives. But actually, he was a half-elf that was obsessed with those things, and he might be a silly <laughs> But he's also really a shambling mound of moss. Very briefly, uh, we had Andy uh, Moonlight as Seamus McTavish, who uh, was an NPC who became a god amongst nobody, uh, but is a definitely notable NPC who the, the party attached to. The bartender of the emptiest net was sort of a, a plug-and-play from there. Originally, the, 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 the bar was called the Empty Net, and then... We burnt that's it down right. and turned it into the emptiest net, but that's another story for another time. So the, we had a few notable NPCs to go along with our notable players. Seamus was originally an NPC. Seamus had an assistant named Anton Aubergine, and McHoss didn't know what Aubergine was, so the DM introduced that as the French word for eggplant, so we started calling him Eggplant Boy. The town council also figured very prominently into the events that happened. They're all book NPCs from the Ghosts of Saltmarsh campaign. Adalatha Aubergine. Was she in the book? I don't even remember. Nope, homebrew as oh, well. Okay, I figured. Uh, Captain Zendros is in the book. There are a couple dock hands, uh, but yeah, all of the town council is is as is Verbatim, in the book. Yeah, and then another homebrew, which was very important for the first portion of our Salt Marsh 
campaign is Orphing Well. Mm-hmm. So as you're listening through this, Orphing Well is kind of introduced as a benevolent benefactor, sort of like saying a greedy lawyer, I guess. It's just sort of redundancy. But anyway, there are a handful of other NPCs that pop up here and there that aren't super important, but these are the ones that kind of, you, you know, as you're the listening biggest splash. Through, right. <laughs> They're the uh, biggest turds in the bowl. That's right. Yeah. So some of those other town council members, Ada Oland comes up time to time, Jell and Primewater, Anders Solmore, Aliander Fireborn. Um, they all, uh, and uh, Manistrad Copperlocks, um, all sort of float in and out of relevance as, as the story needs. I did attempt early on to keep as close to book content as possible, but we did get to a point in play where it kind of wasn't possible, probable. It wouldn't have been as enjoyable if uh, we hadn't had the side stories that we did. Yeah. Well, we just made up a bunch of stuff about the moon. So that's right. Uh, one key for, uh, for listeners, if you hear an alliterative name, there's a good chance that I made it. <laughs> so there's a little peek behind the curtain. I, I really like alliterative names, makes them easier to remember. I've heard, I heard that advice a long time ago and uh, definitely, definitely helps the exception of Seamus, of course. Seamus is memorable strictly because we refuse to let anyone forget him. That's right. He's, how could you forget Rumham? We had Big Nick and Francis uh, sort of drove the the overplot uh, in part one of season one, led to a big conclusion. There, there was a lot that went on, but it sort of started out with the crew getting together, meeting some important people, and then uh, confronting Orphingwell as the hidden big bad uh, where it was revealed Orphingwell was attempting to take revenge on the moon as a throwaway joke in part, you know, season one, part one of session one, the crusade against the moon. Yeah, literally uh, starts off. So if I remember correctly, it starts off with Mikos. Uh, so uh, Sh- uh, Simmons, not Seamus, uh, Simmons was introducing Francis and was talking about building explosives and the DM remarked, to what extent? He said, to build bigger explosives to, and then he's like, that's not a reason to stay in a town. There's a reason to go to jail <laughs> or to get arrested. And he said, well, to blow up anything that could possibly make me sad or something like that. Yeah. And then Mikos just leans in and goes, this sounds like some fuck the moon shit. <laughs> and then so. we established the second episode. I made a comment that it, Simmons completely forgot that anything about the moon third episode he said, yeah, you're on a crusade against the moon. Cause your mom drowned in the high tide. That's right. On a whim, made that cannon. <laughs> As a result, we made a moon cannon, moon laser cannon. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Uh, by manipulating a sphere of annihilation, which is a little bit of homebrew, but tried to incorporate some some reasonable, plausible operations of D&D magic items to accomplish that. And it is also worth noting, there is one other notable NPC in this particular section, and that is, he's got multiple names, Thraxada, Jericho. Uh, those are the two primary names. So uh, starts off as a just dragon and then I threw out that Jericho thing kind of just off the cuff because it's, I literally was like, hmm, what are other words in other languages for moon? And I was like, oh, Jericho is related to the moon in uh, ancient Aramaic. Mm. So it's like, that is a great name for a moon god. We started developing more story collaboratively at this point. I think early on, we we're focused on this being kind of one shot. We'll just play some D&D and record it. And towards the end of part one, season one, we were seeing that, hey, there's a lot of content that we could go from here. You know, we, there's a lot more story to be told. Also, part of the reason we did those deep lore episodes that you'll see early on, the deep lore with Captain Fargus, uh, there are three parts of that. 
the first two parts took place within like a month of each other. And then the third part was very recently, which was <laughs> part of a Zoom session. So Jericho pulls heavily from Magic the Gathering. Anybody familiar with the setting Planeswalkers, Jericho, uh, Darksada kind of has the ability to transport himself across different games, different planes, different dimensions, something like that. We haven't explored that a whole lot recently, but there's a good chance that that'll probably play a factor in future games. I did explore that a little bit in one of the later seasons, which we'll get to. Chronologically, concluding part one, we had a brief stint in Eberron. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but just to stay a little focused, we can talk about returning to season one, Saltmarsh. This one was tentatively titled The Chill of Saltmarsh. Saltmarsh was beset by an unseasonable cold with um, multiple antagonistic fronts attacking the town. Yeah, so uh, The Chill of Saltmarsh saw us take on a Hydra, and we discovered a very important plot point for further on down the road with season one, uh, which are keystones. They weren't called keystones at the time, but that's what they became. It's worth noting here that the crew, mostly actually just me playing the real Big Nick. Um, so it is worth noting that there are two Big Nicks, the season one, part one Big Nick, which is actually a changeling that's supposed in disguise and the real Big Nick, which is really a bard. Also key in both season one, part one and part two, uh, there's a big focus on the ship, on getting a really outfitted big ship, as big a ship as possible, which I kind of foresaw in running the game and knowing that Saltmarsh's books on vehicle combat were very bad. Uh, there were a couple attempts of sort of making mini games out of the, the travel time, out of the vehicle combat. Um, we have not touched on that in a long time, something I'd probably like to return to if we do Spelljammer content or anything like that. Speaking of vehicle combat and new characters, so... I picked up a new character, which is the real Big Nick, which technically isn't a new character, but <laughs> it's a new stat sheet. A real Big Nick burned down the empty net, then we had to move it to the deck of the boat. And speaking of what I was talking about, the ship combat thing there, someone else introduced a new character. Sawyer came up with a character literally on the drive to an episode and had McHoss just on the floor of the car rolling around in laughter and may have probably left a few wet spots in his pants. So... We were we were prefaced with this introduction when we met the great Yardley Quiffin for the first time. The episode where Yardley meets, uh, we had just so happened to send Daffron on a little quest earlier on, and he got ate by a boat. Sawyer had asked what we could do to uh, transition his previous character to his new one, and I said, let's just figure it out. So... He goes on a quick quest, and in probably a matter of 15 minutes, his character... Not even... It was like five. Just splatted <laughs> against a boat, yeah. I think we maybe described it in another at another time, but through just a couple random rolls using book content, he sought the Sea Elf King. That is not included in, in the Saltmarsh book, but uh, the random encounter really? tables are. You're telling me that the name Stephen, Stephen Wappelbat... <laughs> the, the late King Stephen Wappelbat. He's killed by bears. That's right. <laughs> I can't believe we made that canon, but... I mean, I can. <laughs> there are no rules. In addition to Yardley being introduced, he introduced uh, a, a faction, the Emerald Gentlemen. Uh, they are still quite mysterious at the time of recording. Uh, we don't know a lot about the Emerald Gentlemen. Although the one thing we do know is that they all have a tendency to speak with Southern accents. That's correct. Yeah. The, the Hydra was dealt with uh, in part two of season one. They rebuilt the bar into the emptiest net. That was on the boat, correct? Well, it was still called, I think it was just the still empty called net the empty two? net. Yeah. No, the Empty Net 3, because the Empty Net, we just skipped to the Empty Net 2. Okay. It's like Chicken Foot's albums. It's Chicken Foot and Chicken Foot 3. <laughs> There's no Chicken Foot 2. Yeah, th this is the reason that we're making these episodes. <laughs> I, I think. Yeah. Optimus Piggy, if you're listening, you'll probably be able to correct us on this one, because you're the only other, the only other person that actually listens to everything, so... 
however, this was uh, important because we had another crew member join us, played by AR, Gunkbog. Yep. I have introduced more characters without having one die than I think you've ever experienced in anywhere. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Fake Big Nick turned back into the changeling and rode away on the back of a dragon. The real Big Nick was sort of on half duty. So I introduced Gunkbog as a literally just a brief story device. My whole idea, uh, we had been working on the campaign together, kind of the overarching story. And I said, hey, I want to introduce Big Nick's full blood orc half brother, Big Nick being a half orc, to literally just get us to the city of the orcs and push along this Keystone storyline thing here. Basically, Gunkbog's original task was to tell the captain where to go find a Keystone and then get them to the orc city and be gone. We essentially said, hey, wouldn't it be hilarious if we had just a bunch of beer puns and that would be a place? We'll go there. It'll be a quick, quick hub world in and out, you know, easy peasy. Yeah. Two years later. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so Gunkbog was supposed to be our shoe in to, to get us to like portal travel. I, I wanted to in- introduce basically fast travel at a D&D scale for the ship. So keystones were going to be the key. We sort of sat on that for a while. There were some, you know, real life delays that happened too. However, what was important about Gunkbog is we... We were talking about backstory. We were building on Kaiser. Morrison Cures came up as the artificer who who built the city on rolling rock and roll. <laughs> nah, that's good. The idea of this this heroic character Jean Jean Henry taken from real life. John Henry uh, incorporated it into a mythos in on Kaiser. John Henry's notable because John Henry's hammer he dug a hole supposedly in West Virginia dug a hole through a mountain faster than a steam shovel and literally died at the end of it so Gunkbog's primary uh, character trait is that he has a signature hammer so unlike most characters who upgrade their weapons Gunkbog literally only ever had one weapon he, he did have a couple throwing devices that he used very early on but most of the time it was just that giant hammer and it got upgraded a few times, but it was a sentient hammer as we sort of discovered. And um, so the interesting thing about the hammer is it makes Gunkbog a sort of reverse Hulk. So his natural state of being is a lumbering giant muscle bound man. And when somebody else touches the hammer, so say Yardley or, you know, eggplant boy, any other living sentient being touches the hammer both. And you can also have this apply to more than two people anyone touching the hammer gets a base intelligence stat of 19 so it was a hammer of intelligence mechanically this went over great with the party it was just a constant source of entertainment i loved it everybody at the table loved it it was used for problem solving like excellent role play really no complaints about that we we later find out that the mechanic behind it is that the hero soul jean henry is in the hammer and whenever gunkbog is holding it by himself her presence is kind of stifling or or sapping his kind of brain power inadvertently uh, making him less intelligent. But whenever someone shares the load with him, the load would be lessened and Gokbog would sort of return to his natural state, which is actually very intelligent. Right. But it was actually technically surpassed his normal state because if you listen through all the episodes we have, Gunkbog actually has a total of three voices. <laughs> yeah. So there's normal Gunkbog, then there's smart bog, and then there's Actual base Gunkbog sans King, hammer. King Gunkbog? King, King Bog, yeah. Yeah, who's only D- revealed at the very end. Dumbbog, Smartbog, and King Bog. King Gunkbog's voice, which is his natural pre-discovering the hammer voice, is actually based on something you did during a scene where he had this sort of, I don't know, pirate accent. Remind me? This is a time stop. Oh, yes. So you, you like spoke, you were Gunkbog for a second, and you spoke with this sort of like... Orky. Yeah. 
accent. Yeah. So that's Gunkbox default actually was that. Yeah. Uh, and he's pretty much forever changed with his exposure to to the ham to hammy, which early on I, I admittedly as a DM, I waffled back and forth between like giving you this extremely powerful magic hammer. I was like, maybe this should be cursed. Maybe there should be a drawback of some kind. And I was thinking, depending on Gunkbog's actions, if he was, um, we knew that the hammer, I knew that the hammer was going to be good aligned. If the hammer determined that Gunkbog was a threat or uh, was acting out of selfishness, selfishness, the hammer would try to supplant him. Cyberpunk 2077 had come out. I really liked the idea of Johnny Silverhand, you know, taking over V's body. That, that ending uh, was kind of an inspiration. And then, as it turned out, Gunkbog acted very selflessly, very honestly. He is the most like benevolent of yeah. the group. Uh, very he made a couple, at all times. Yeah, he made made a couple sacrifices, and uh, the hammer kind of deemed him a worthy successor to uh, take the throne of Von Kaiser, as was his birthright. That also leads us into a couple of the sub campaigns that we should start talking about. We'll touch back on Gunkbog here in a second, but I'll just leave it with this: Gunkbog is Dumbbog is near omnipotent. <laughs> So the first sub campaign that we have in the series, which is somewhat confusing, I was thinking about splitting it into a new season, but it wasn't really a new setting. There's different different characters, a completely different rule set, completely different game, but everything was actually based directly in Salt Martian. This whole sub campaign was designed specifically to boost the main campaign, and that we started referring to as the Justice League. There's an enemy hobgoblin near towards the end of the Haunted Mansion Part one, if you played the Salt Marsh adventures at all, you'll notice that there's hobgoblins in the basement. The crew captured one and interrogated him. They found out his name was Grim. They took him captive, put him in the jail in Salt Marsh. He learned common in like four in-game hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, he. I guess he had stumbled through it. Through some basic communication, I believe the captain negotiated with him. Yeah, the captain and Mock were the negotiators because Mock had found a book in the same house with basic goblin commands. He would say things like, stop. Gave him some orders, but kind of gave Grimm a new opportunity in freeing him, essentially. Well, the way that it sort of worked is that we decided to take Grimm with us when we did the raid on what became our first big ship, which is the Sea Ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sea Ghost in the book. So we, we took the Sea Ghost and renamed it. It should be noted, uh, we haven't mentioned this far, that all of the waterborne vehicles in the Salt Marsh campaign are named some variation of the SSSSS. Was, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we did a very, very quick mini deep lore at the beginning of one of our episodes, which was just the title page of the book. Actually, the, the cover of the book, I should say. We sort of roped that into the story. Our benevolent DM put McCoss on the spot and was like, what's the name of your ship? And he's like, sure, that's the SSSS. S. And of course, DM said, yeah, can you spell it for me? He's like, yeah, that's S. <laughs> S. And then does the whole three S's and everything like that. It's, it's still debated upon what the S's actually mean, whether they're in common, they could be in Aquan, who knows. But all of the, the S, all of the boats that we've had have had some variation of that name. So the small boat we stole from the house was the SSS SSS. Two? No, which just that was six the S's because it was yeah. the SS, SSS, and the last S means smaller. Okay. And then the, the Sea Ghost was the SS, SSS 2. Mm-hmm. And then we got the, the big boat, which we sort of never really agreed on the name, but I think it's just the SSSS. Or maybe it's the S7. S7? No, it's the S7. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. S7. Because they just foreshadowed added. season seven. Ooh. Ooh. So the SS, SSSS for smaller. Smaller. That would kind of be S6. Yeah, the S6 was smaller, and the S7 seven. is smaller, supersized. The sequel. <laughs> smaller, supersized, the sequel. sequel. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we, we take this very seriously, obviously. Um, to touch back on Justice League, Graham works with the party for a little while, kind of gets a new idea. He, he wants to join the city guard. Uh, he wants to give back. I'm making a lot of roles behind the screen. Uh, as to whether he would just cut and run as a former smuggler. I I did some little like solo DM play by myself. Sounds very interesting, but figured out that. I think it's a category on Pornhub. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't have any notes on that, but basically came to the conclusion that Graham decides to strike out on his own. And the way he decides to do that is with the city watch. After a a stint in the city watch defending Saltmarsh, he decides to go out into the drowned forest and defend Saltmarsh from a forward operating position. That is when he develops Gremsgard, which is a mercenary company. He takes some of the City Watch from uh, Saltmarsh, but then begins recruiting in the surrounding areas, pretty much finding the lowest of the low, sort of where he saw himself in these smuggling operations. The wretched and, hive of scum and villainy. Right, and bringing them up with some state-of-the-art equipment thanks to a secret benefactor, Adalatha Aubergine, so that they can survive and even flourish in the drowned forest. That is where Justice League takes off, led by a Justice Klaus, played mm-hmm. by McCoss, Kronk playing Atticus Twigburn, uh, AR playing Tanner McMartin, and Sawyer as Scallion. these... I don't want to say ne'er-do-wells, but these unlikely heroes. Ne'er-live-longs. Ne'er-live-longs is right, because if you've played Dungeon World, this is how it goes. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. so this, the system that we use is called Dungeon World, and as you're listening through this, uh, this uh, podcast, all of the t- episodes titled I Hate This Party, there are a total of five of them, are the Justice League uh, ones. So it's obviously true, we, I hate this party. <laughs> yeah, we obviously named it Justice League because Justice Klaus was the leader, they, uh, the Justice League, however, finds a Sahuagin plot to sort of portal around Saltmarsh to attack from land where they might least expect it. The Justice League does, at great cost, uh, stop them. So in, in the process of diverting the Sahuagin assault, which is conducted in part with the Orcish army, of course, the same orcs that we know that that's where Gunkbog and Big Nick are from, same nation of orcs that eventually Gunkbog becomes Kingbog of, we lose a few characters. We lose one in the direct assault. Rapscallion decides that he's lived long enough and takes a bomb and goes right in the portal and blows up the portal like right there. But what's coming through the portal at that time is a hungry boat. A big surprise. Yeah. That Daphrin was not in fact dead, but had tamed Dreadnought. From within its belly. Correct. Somehow. We made Game of made some shit. more behind the scenes roles. I also thought it would be great for Daphrin to come back. So Daphrin comes back inspired by Dimitri from Three Houses, just a revenant of vengeance. And yeah, Daphrin Keen's back. And is but also this time, some, somewhat like Venom Snake. <laughs> yeah, but this time he's angsty. <laughs> Punished Daphrin. We make a lot of jokes about, you know, Edgelord Daphrin. Daphrin starts the whole campaign. Hi guys, I'm ready. I'm playing with a kite in a storm. And he's like, my parents are dead. <laughs> The captain abandoned me, even though he didn't know where I was. And his his one friend, the boat, sort of sacrifices itself to get him to get him back through this portal. I don't really think the boat had a choice because it like came through a portal onto land. It's a yeah, it's a monster, and then he and it caught Daffron, on fire, and it's a boat. Yeah, Daphne ripped out the heart, so now he carries Dreadnought's heart around. And it's it should also be noted that Sawyer was not the only one to lose a character in this game. Uh, shortly after we finish up the siege of whatever you want to call that drowned forest area. I lose Tanner McMartin. He dies in a squabble with some Salwagon in a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. And I'm given a choice. Like, do you want to go back or do you want to just die? And I'm like, dude, I'm a druid. I'm like all about returning to the earth. So he's got to die. Obviously maybe five minutes before the podcast ends, we yeah. find in the rescued hostages, 
a familiar, slightly familiar face. <laughs> familiar smell, at least. Yeah. So the assumption was that we would be doing a handful more of these episodes. I introduced a new character at the very end of the last I Hate This Party episode, and that is none other than Clovis McTavish. And who, of course, now is a main character in the Avernus arc. And I just did that because I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to throw this character away, but also continuity from Saltmarsh. It's perfect. Love yeah, it. easy. The Justice League helps the main crew with the pending siege of the town uh, by the orcs having crippled a bit of their logistic operation. In the meantime, the crew is fighting the siege. The Justice League is attacking from the rear uh, and sort of not seen by the main party uh, until a good bit later. The crew experiences some strange happenings. The captain meets his mom, Fanny Flintlock, who we find out is the sea prince of death, but she has access to time control in some in some way or another. And also severe dementia. Yeah. She suffers from some some issues. Most importantly, the introductions that we get in this particular phase of play are right during the siege before the captain meets his mom. Coldfinger? Uh, well, even more important than Coldfinger, <laughs> Yardley finds Owen Wilson. The swamp Horse Owen Wilson? The Swamp Horse Owen Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, has two episodes named after him. <laughs> no affiliation with the actor. Do any other player characters have episodes... Yardley probably has a couple. Yeah. The, I'll have to go back and Yardley's check. introduction is called The Name's Yardley, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Technically, Gunkbog, because when he's introduced, that episode title is Big Nick's Little Brother. Mm-hmm. So there's two there. The Deep Lores with Captain Fargus of Eggplant and Seamus. Those are NPCs. Yeah. But Owen Wilson's on the board. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. So we do meet Swamp Horse Owen Wilson. The captain resolves to go talk to his dad after... Uh, Meeting his Having mom. run into his mom, yeah. Coldfinger was one of the orcs who led the assault. He does come back. His story is pretty much completed at the time of this recording, uh, but he was a, a recurring antagonist who keeps coming back uh, a little bit weaker each time. During the meeting with his uh, dad, the captain brings on another super important NPC, Loxley. Of course, in Longheim, on the Isle of Longheim, mm-hmm. the town of... What Coastal it? Heights. Coastal Heights, sort of inside the mountain the Dwarven Town. Which, so Co- Coastal Heights is the mountaintop home on the island of Longheim, which is also where we can find the port town of the Styes. The Styes, yes. Whew. Geography. That is book content, by the way. Styes is in the book. We sort of invented Longheim because uh, McCoss was, was like, home. yeah. So like way early on when he was talking to Manistrad, uh, he's introducing, I'm from Longheim. Of course, your reply was, it's been a Longheim coming. <laughs> so when we go to actually go to the captain's hometown. He said, yeah, the captain's from a town called Coastal Heights. I'm like, no, the captain's from Longheim. And he's like, I just said Coastal Heights. I was like, yeah, but you said Longheim like two years ago. And he's like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's from both. Coastal Heights is the town on the top of the mountain on the island of Longheim, which also includes the human port town of the Styes because the dwarves have very interesting shipping methods. They make boats out of stone and shoot them out the side of the volcano. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, uh, they let them kind of roll down the the incline to the, the side of the mountain that is adjacent to the water. Just sort of has like giant scrape marks where the, the ships have come down. Sort of next, we sort of bounce around a couple times. There's a, the Land of the Funk episodes. Yes. Now, speaking of Gunkbog's near omnipotence, it should be noted that the Land of the Funk is a side campaign invented to kill some time and fill in some content on the podcast, directly inspired by the musical contributors to the podcast. The thing worth noting here is that the only player that remembers what happened in the Land of the Funk is Dumbog. Not Smartbog, not Kingbog, only Dumbog remembers Land of the Funk. <laughs> Where some alternate magic shenanigans happen, such as Embiggen. Embiggenry. Which is Embiggenry, which is enlarged, but more specific. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> but you just have to listen to the Land of the Funk series. Uh, they're all named Land of the Funk for that sub-campaign, so anything with that title is a mini-series, and it's all sort of... They're a little extra goofy. But yes, extremely extra goofy. Put a little extra spice on them. We should also wrap up season two. We kind of glossed over season two. We try to Correct. always gloss over season two. We do. So season two was Eberron Rising from the Last War. That was the content book that we used. We enjoyed a lot of the NPCs. We enjoyed some of the quests that were happening, but it seemed like none of the party could really, including the DM, could really get into the setting. It just seemed a bit confusing to all of us. It's not badly written. I think there are some issues with implementation for most tables. If everybody is not not spun up on what Eberron is and how Eberron works. It's an uphill climb for sure. Having it, is, to, it is not horizontal. It is very vertical. <laughs> it's very vertical. Interestingly, like kind of by the end, you're being sent out away from the city, which may have been better. I think every DM will come to this point where you look at a decision and say, you know, maybe this wasn't the best. I think maybe a couple sessions where we did some basic kind of tutorial quests uh, in Eberron in the city of Sharn. Uh, may have been a good thing to do before starting that very first adventure where it kind of takes you all over and then puts you on a train out, yeah. out of the town yeah. towards like super dangerous areas. So um, we should talk about, you know, introduce everything. So we should note that we have a new player in season two, Alex, and he does come back occasionally. So Alex plays Callan, who is a dinosaur riding tiefling. He didn't talk to me about that. <laughs> I'm salty. I'm still salty. So, and then myself, I play Mr. Gutsy, which one of my personal favorite ideas for a character is a Warforged, but I just used my computer's text-to-speech app for all of his dialogue. A lot of third-person narration of, like, what his face is doing, but all of the speech is actually whatever default. I don't no. know. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. I, uh, I caught you out one time because we were in combat, and I had ready and I got hit for like 40 <laughs> hit points or something insane. I just go, ouch. <laughs> that is still one of the best, one of the best gags on the podcast. Sawyer plays Shubintron, which he is a shifter artificer. So shifter being the descendant, longtime descendant of werewolves. So like sort of quarter werewolf almost. And he starts off as a normal artificer. And uh, by the end of the three season, three episode campaign, he becomes the basketball artificer. Yeah, we still haven't let that go. We are like a dog with a bone on that basketball joke. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, really the most important basketball related bit is that he creates a diversion that a group of goblins crit fails. He throws a basketball down and they just start playing a game of pickup basketball. <laughs> yeah. And we just have free run of the entire dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Kronk is playing Soth, who is a changeling in the guise of an elf. We roll for some bonds with some NPCs. He rolls a bond with a change. No, I'm sorry, a gnome NPC. The gnome, yeah. yeah. Congleton Curdle Snoot was the <laughs> NPC that he rolled a bond with. Yes. And he got siblings. <laughs> so he was a midget changeling under the guise of a gnome. Yeah. Let's see. Nikos is Dr. Mech Natura, who is a wooden warforge that got cut in half by a machete, machete. by his brother, yeah. who is also wasn't, Sawyer. Wasn't he a triceratops? Yeah, he was a druid, time? so he was a shifter. Yeah. Like a druid shifter, so he would shift into a wooden triceratops. Yeah. And he, I think he asked a for a small one. Yeah, like yeah a very little, small one. Little baby one. He he rolled brother with Sawyer, which mm-hmm. is funny because Sawyer is a shifter and Mechanatura is a warforged. Yes. <laughs> so that the reason that he's so short is because Chub was, he rolled, his background was like on the run. He committed a crime. It's he the like, family you choose. Yeah. So <laughs> the crime was that he cut his brother in half. <laughs> We just, we just tried to shoehorn yeah. as much Dewey Cox in a season two as we possibly yeah. could because that kept it interesting. I, I think we always assumed it was the bottom half that was still there. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, no, he did have a cowboy hat, so that's worth okay. knowing. Cowboy that's hat right. that would like automatically go into his head, yeah. little, little storage compartment. So that's season two. Uh, Let's it, never go back to Ebron. <laughs> it ended very quickly because primarily the, the pandemic, actually. So we were playing in person for that. That's, you know, right when the pandemic starts. I think the episode three of season two, well, two and episodes two and three were actually the same session. But mm-hmm. I think that actually, if you look, is like either January or February of 2020. Yeah. So that was like right before the pandemic started. And it's also part of the reason that we actually went to the chill of Salt Marsh next because we picked back up several months after the last events of the main Salt Marsh campaign. So it was sort of like a real life mirroring or fantasy mirroring, reality mirroring, real life, or I don't know, whatever. Whenever we have a time skip uh, out of game, I like to incorporate one in game to sort of like shake things up, but also to sort of reintroduce a bunch of new ideas and concepts. So that pushes us forward up into the Tales from Altair. We didn't quite do season two in time where we should have put it in the timeline of the podcast, but season three is Tales from Altair, which is an entirely homebrew setting by Sawyer. Everything there is is his content. We have new characters again. I play Grambo Crambo, the drunken master gnome monk. Mick Haas is Errol Wavestriff, the human mage and self-proclaimed seeker of Altair. Alex comes back as a hill dwarf monk named Flint, and his whole thing is he's just got this list of colloquialisms, like wise wisdom sayings and things like that. So that's where you'll see the, as my master said, uh, because he just says, my master always says, you know, break bread with your teeth or something. I don't know. <laughs> Random saying. So Grambo just makes fun of him all the time for that. And most importantly, the best character in that whole... Oh, I'm sorry. Kronk is Salvatore Manikine, the not mock that is totally mock. And lastly... Guacamole. The paladin. He's probably... Yeah. Therefore, he's a holy guacamole. I'd like to thank my wife for some inspiration there. We kind of brainstormed the, the idea for a, a character. I was really into Barry at the time, the HBO show with um, Bill Hader. And Noho Hank is just a great character. So I did my best Noho Hank impression. The rest is history. It's pretty fantastic. This should be noted that the setting for Altair takes place on the continent of Jaburg. Altair is the capital of Jaburg, well, the, the main city, I guess. I don't know if, I'm not quite sure if the whole continent is a single country or not, but it's the big city, kind of the focal point. Um, And it should be noted that one of the primary NPCs in this particular setting is a very familiar one, the great Yardley Quiffin, who is known as the mechanic. And this is actually in canonical timeline lore here and things like that. Yardley being in Altair precedes him being in Saltmarsh. So this is sort of a way that sets up how does Yardley come in from Jaburg. And uh, this is sort of the direct like reason that he left Jaburg. We never quite finished that up, but we'll get back to it eventually, maybe. We've seen enough connections between Saltmarsh continuity and Altair. Jaburg is a, a good ways off of the coast of Saltmarsh. Like, you know, it'd be a few weeks travel to get there, but there's no official trade lanes with these two civilizations yet, which we may see in the future. We did take a little hiatus from the original campaign. Mostly for Altair and for other reasons. And uh, we had another somewhat checkered uh, <laughs> area. I, I still get a little flack for this, but that's okay. We had a bit of a challenge where a demi-lich was on an island causing this really terrible fog. This was book content. However, at the very end, the twist is that it was an amusement park. <laughs> Except Mock still Mock still died. Mock still did very much die. Yeah. Mock did do what Mock would do. Is he stood and fought, but he got killed immediately. It was just power word kill, basically, wasn't it? I think so. So it's just you're dead immediately. Yeah. Pretty crazy powerful magic there on the part of the Demi-Lich. Yeah. Notably, we reunite with Coldfinger, this time much weaker. He is. Kronk introduces us to a new character, Renlock. Renlock is a knoll that thinks he's a drow. He very well may be. Well, as far as we know, he is certainly something now. 
So, uh, Renlock's story unfortunately concludes pretty quickly as he gets an amulet of the planes and decides to use it right away. So, he does very Renlock things and, and fucks off to the Feywild. Sending him to the Feywild. So, maybe he's a drow there and maybe he's happy. We don't know. Maybe we'll find out soon. We may, yeah. That concludes all we, we have time to talk about for this particular section of our timeline overview. These are going to be the first two actually full-length episodes in this primer. We're going to go over the whole thing, and then we're going to kind of get into the nitty-gritty and kind of go through, you know, instead of focusing like today we did on the whole overview of things, we'll actually get in and like go into the weeds of like backgrounds of characters, and we'll get the other guys on here and give them a chance to like say, oh, what was your original idea with Daffrin? Or, you know, what was your original idea with a captain and things like that? And if they can remember. <laughs> if these uh, questions sound good, uh, please let us know. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're Optimus Piggy, keep doing what you're doing, man. Love you. <laughs>